welcome. This is Elsbeth Magilton, one of your hosts for the Girls Code Lincoln podcast. In March 2020, our clubs, like organizations across the world, had to shut down. During that time, we still wanted to be there to support and inspire our students. Focusing on confidence and life skills, we started the Empower Her presentation series. Our speakers met directly with our clubs online, and the talks are available on the Girls Code Lincoln YouTube channel. The speakers in the series have a variety of careers and backgrounds. We know that confidence and leadership skills matter no matter the industry. Even as our clubs start back, we recognize the need for kids to hear from confident, underrepresented voices in our community, perhaps now more than ever. This spring, in conjunction with the Women Lead Conference sponsored by the University of Nebraska Colleges of Business and Law, we're reviving the Empower series on the podcast. We've invited speakers at this one-day conference to join Awkwardy and I for interviews that will come out as standalone episodes in the Empower series or if they're STEM-related in one of our regular monthly episodes. We are here with Deb Gilg. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So can you introduce yourself a little bit and tell us what your current position is in your current career? Well, uh, I'm Deborah Gilg, and I am the retired United States Attorney for Nebraska. Um, I served for eight years under President Obama. Um, since that time, uh, when I thought I was retiring, I'm actually really semi-retired because uh, I am adjunct faculty at ASU Sandra Day O'Connor College of Law, where I teach during the winter. And um, I also do arbitration as a neutral for uh, the Federal uh, Regulatory Association. And um, I do an occasional um, legal case now and then. That's a mouthful. And we will unpack what that means, right? That's one of my favorite pieces is trying to explain what sometimes our titles are as adult professionals to, to, young, to young people and young adults who say, that sounds great. What? <laughs> No, that's awesome. So where are you from? I am originally from Omaha, um, and I grew up um, in a family with two other siblings. Um, my um, The expectations in my family uh, was that um, girls didn't go to college, and um, I broke that mold. It's amazing. It's it's wild to think, I think, for a lot of young people now that, you know, just one generation ago, that was sort of the standard bias that we all, that people felt. And that was something that people thought, you know, even when I was going to college, it was it was not questioned that a girl would go to college or a boy would go to college and how much that, you know, I think sometimes we think some of those biases are further in the past than they really are. <laughs> no, that's, no yeah. you know, that's absolutely true. The other thing is, is that um, I was fortunate in that I had a grandfather, and he had gone to third grade. That was as far as he had gone. But he was just the smartest guy ever. He worked on the railroad. And he was like the little voice in my head because he would um, take care of me. He would take me places. And he would say, you know, when you grow up, when you grow up, I want you to be a doctor or a lawyer. That's He just pushed that all the time. And so that was sort of in my head that, oh, gee, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, I could do that. Having that person. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So did you grow up then, sounds like maybe, doing, wanting to do what you do now? Uh, actually, I grew up wanting, I, there was a variety of things. <laughs> Just sort of how, how I'm semi-retired and do a variety of things. 
I, I'm sort of like your Heinz 57 person because when I was growing up, I thought, oh, I think I'd like to be a veterinarian because I, I liked animals so much. And then um, I realized that um, I didn't want to take the science classes that I would need to do to become a veterinarian. And then I decided, oh, I wanted to be a musician. And um, I actually entered the University of Nebraska on a scholarship um, at the music school. And after about a semester, I realized that there were, there were only two paths in music. Either I was going to teach, which I did not want to do, or I was going to be a performance artist. And I didn't feel that I had um, the, the level to become a performance artist. So I decided it would be better for me to find something else to do. So um, continuing on with kind of my cafeteria approach to education, I then transferred over. And at that time, university had a Latin American Institute. And so I transferred over and uh, declared a major with Latin American studies and um, a minor in Spanish. And I decided that, oh, with this degree, then I would become a diplomat. Um, except that I wasn't forward enough thinking to realize that it was going to be really hard to be a diplomat in Nebraska because uh, I really didn't want I loved Nebraska. I didn't want to leave Nebraska. Um, so <clears throat> as I was nearing graduation with what at that time was a degree, I figured out that I wasn't really probably going to be able to do something with it. That voice in my head from my grandfather about law um, <clears throat> came to the forefront and I applied for law school and was admitted to law school. What I love about that is we have a lot of students at the law school who are really excited about international law, national security. And I think it's an area of legal practice that a lot of people don't even realize exists as an option. And that that background is, I think, excellent for law school, right? And it's such a natural fit, of, even if it didn't seem that way maybe at the moment. Right. And no, yeah. no, it didn't seem that way at the moment at all. It seemed like, <laughs> seemed like okay, this is really disjointed, but now, now I'll go do this. Yeah. So did you have any internships, externships, jobs while you were in college that you think changed your path or impacted you? Um, I would tell you something very basic that impacted <laughs> me because um, I didn't really think I wanted to go to college. Uh, the first job I had uh, changed my mind radically about it. First job I had, West Roads Mall was being built. So this shows I am a dinosaur. Um, and I went and I got a job with a clothing retailer. Um, it was my first job. And they put me to work sorting clothes and putting it on a rack. And that's what I did all day long. And after two days, I quit. And after that, I went to see my house, high school counselor and um, rearranged my schedules so that I all had uh, was taking the types of classes that I needed to get into college. It was that all it took was a couple of days because I, th I realized if I didn't go on and get a better education, that's what I was going to be doing. And I'm not downgrading people who do that because a lot of people just love retail. Um, but I realized that I needed to get an education. Yeah. So it, you went straight from undergrad to law school. Right. So what was the first job out of law school? My first job out of law school was in Western Nebraska, um, of all places. And I um, went to work for a two-man law firm. I was paid $500 a month as a lawyer. 
And um, I, they decided that they wanted to open a branch office in a different city. And so they made me the branch office manager of myself and a secretary. And it was probably the greatest thing because um, I was, I remember getting my first court appointment and calling, um, who then later became my partner and saying, what do I do? And he said, sink or swim. And, and I'm like, <laughs> gotta oh. love lawyers. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. And he says, you know how to walk up to the courthouse, right? I'm like, yes. He goes, well, walk up to the courthouse and <clears throat> you'll learn. And that's how I learned. Uh, I'm not saying that's a good way to learn, but that's pretty much how I learned. And so I tried to um, soak in when I went to to the courthouse everything that I could um, about observing other lawyers, um, but also making friends with the court staff, which I teach my law students that that is the single most important thing that they can do is make friends with the staff at the courthouse because they will help you. And they did. Can you walk us through that first job and, you know, those early days as an attorney um, to your career and, and kind of through through your career? Well, so I um, stayed with that law firm uh, for uh, several years, and then I went out on my own because I was in a rural place, and a lot of lawyers um, practice law by themselves. Um, I ran for county attorney, and I got elected county attorney, so in addition to my private law practice, then I was the county attorney. And I kind of springboarding off of that, I wound up picking up a couple of county attorney jobs in neighboring counties. And before I knew it, I was uh, getting appointed as a special prosecutor in other counties and um, traveling around the state uh, doing special prosecutions for other uh, counties. So I spent 16 years doing that. And then after that time, um, well, the total time that we were in Western Nebraska was about 24 years. And after that, my husband and I made a decision that we were going to move back to Omaha uh, because our parents were ailing and we thought that was the best thing to do. So um, that's what we did. We came back um, to the city and essentially started over again. And um, <clears throat> I, I was practicing uh, by myself, I always had a dream of practicing with other women and just having a female law firm. And I was, I did accomplish that. I had two just wonderful female law partners and we had a lot of fun and we practiced law together. And I continued to do that until 2009 when I got nominated and uh, subsequently um, confirmed as a United States attorney. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about being um, county attorney, kind of those really leadership roles Absolutely. that you might not have been, not, I mean, not a lot of other people in those positions looked like you, <laughs> and what it was like to be a woman in those positions. Oh, golly. When I was in Western Nebraska, there were, there were hardly any women um, attorneys. And um, that was, I can remember being in the courtroom one time and having the, the opposing counsel make an objection to the judge uh, that I was wearing a red suit, and that was um, uh, disrespectful and uh, dis distracting. Oh, gosh. I, I mean, just, <laughs> I think anybody at that time who practiced, particularly in, in the small areas, um, encountered those types of comments being made, so you just got used to it and kind of ignored it. Um, but in terms of leadership, uh, I think 
as county attorney, particularly where I was in western Nebraska and I was by Lake McConaughey, I had a lot of leadership experience in a hurry because we had some law enforcement issues with Lake McConaughey. And so I had to step up, take a position that wasn't uh, popular with the local merchants, uh, but it was popular with people and uh, collaborate with other agencies um, and get things done. And I learned a lot of leadership skills from that about working with people, um, <clears throat> um, how lonely it can be to make decisions and have people criticize you for those decisions. Of course, social media wasn't big then, but it, I mean, they would still, you know, write letters to the newspaper or, or there was a local uh, radio talk show um, that <clears throat> on occasion there might be some comments made on that. But <clears throat> um, now, of course, it's much different. It would be now would be even harder. Yeah. I think that probably makes a lot of sense. Um, there's good things about social media connecting us, but there's a lot of hard, bad things there too. Yeah, exactly. Um, I would say that that um, I really enjoyed being United States Attorney because I felt like I had developed the leadership skills and the connections statewide to be able to put that all together um, and be able to plan and guide a lot of different agencies um, in what I wanted to accomplish. So I found out that very, um, at times it was very trying, uh, but I also found it very um, satisfying. And, and since that time, since I've no longer had that position and, and supposedly re semi-retired, um, <laughs> being a neutral and doing the arbitration work has also been, I've just, I've had a great deal of um, satisfaction from from doing that type of work and where where i do it is with um as i said it's with the financial industry at uh, the national and finra is the acronym and basically whenever there's a dispute with any stockbroker or security agency whether it's a an employee filing a claim against the employer or a client filing a claim against the brokerage it's mandatory federal arbitration so you can't go to court. So you have to go to, to the arbit arbitration. And um, there's always a three-person panel. So I, I've enjoyed listening to the lawyers educate me about different aspects of the financial industry. But I've also enjoyed uh, the collaboration with, with my colleagues and learning yeah. from them. So you, I, th I guess what I want to say is, is that you need to always grow. You always need to stretch um, what what you're doing and no matter what your age is and no matter what part of life you're in career-wise um, that is just oh so important because your brain has to keep taking in information <laughs> yeah so we do a part on the show where we we call it the fill in the blank round and it is the best hardest scariest and most rewarding part of your career and i am happy to have you can talk about being u.s attorney private practice teaching you know you're a professor all of those pieces um you can draw from but but the first fill in the blank question is what is the best part of your career oh i would say absolutely uh having been u.s attorney and having been the first female u.s attorney uh was was the best part it was the piece de resistance of, of my career. And it came at a great time uh, for me in terms of my knowledge uh, about uh, what needed to happen. So um, it that would be that. 
What is the hardest part of your career? The hardest part of my career was when I was county attorney and I was also the county coroner. Oh, gosh. Um, because in Nebraska, um, the county attorneys are the county coroners. And so anytime there was a death outside of a hospital, um, I had to respond to it. So I was, in a sense, the first responder, had to direct the death investigation, had to make a determination of how this person died. And um, that, that was the most singular difficult part. I have, to, I have to ask this follow-up question to that. Is there additional... Because to me, that's... You, we're not trained to do that in law no. school. Like no part, there's no law school class where they're like, figure out how this person died. Exactly. So did, was there additional... How do they train for that they don't, for the they, county attorney? They don't train you. That's And they may be training now, but then there was nothing. It was like, um, you know, I'd have to fill out the death certificate. And it was like, what do you mean I can't put death by dying as a cause of death? <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know how they died, you know? Yeah. Um, I was lucky. Um, I had the support of my county commissioners, and there was a school at at um, St. Louis University, and it was a death investigator school. And so I was, they paid for me to go to that, and it was a week long school. And then I returned for advanced training for another week. Um, that that was very helpful to me, mm-hmm. and that's and then in turn I tried to help train other county attorneys. Yeah. But yeah, uh, there's no training for it. That's wild. I had no, I had never, it never occurred to me that that was something a county attorney would do. Yeah. What is the scariest part of your career? The scariest part of my career? Well, probably that was the scariest. Being coroner was the scariest part of my career because I never knew what I was going to be getting into. Um, On my first coroner call when I was elected county attorney, it was on a snowy night in January. It was about... 11 o'clock at night and it was snowing like heck and I was you know told to drive a big county so I you know had to drive 20 miles to the west end of the county when I got there there were all of these first responders and there was a car that was turned upside down 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 a slope way down in a ditch and I had to get myself down there so that I could you know see what was going on and then I had to go and then the, the other part of being coroners, then you have to do the death notifications to oh, yeah. to the families. And that was so hard that it, it it was scary going and doing things like that. Um, but it was scary having to go tell a parent um, or a child that you know their parent was dead. Yeah. Oh gosh. Well, hopefully a better note from that. Okay. What was the most rewarding part of your career? Um, the most rewarding part of my career was, um, and I think a lot of attorneys would say this, was probably doing adoption work. Um, it Everybody's happy. The judge is happy. The parties are happy. The child is happy. That's a, that is just a wonderful thing to be able to do. Um, don't get to do it uh, nearly as often uh, as um, would have liked, but uh, that stands out to me. I used to work for the Center on Children, Families, and the Law before I went to law school. I was actually a web developer for them. Uh, but we were always a part of Adoption Day. And it was just the best day at the Nebraska State Capitol. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, happy tears just everywhere. Yes. Balloons and joy. It, yes. It's a beautiful, beautiful it, thing. It is a beautiful day. 
So I always like to end our interviews thinking about inspiration. And as our listeners know, I think we don't talk about failure enough and the hardships that people go through. I think particularly as women, we try and hide some of that. And so that's how I always like to start this conversation, which is talking about a struggle or a big failure in your life. Um, I, I believe I had a big failure in my life personally in that <clears throat> with my professional knowledge of um, – uh, of the cycle of violence, domestic violence, uh, the work that I did on the with Native Americans is on domestic violence. I was not able to translate that personally, um, and and I'd like to clarify that by saying I grew up in a home that was dominated by domestic violence, and um, it took me years to figure out. Uh, my father, um, and what had occurred to him that made the trauma pass on down to us. And after he was, after he had died, I came across some correspondence from when he was in World War II, but I also came across some other information that indicated that he'd been a victim of abuse um, as a small child. And so as we know, all of that cycle perpetuates itself. That's my biggest failure is that I did not take a more proactive stance in trying to figure that out because it it would have informed my relationship with my father in the later years before he died. Um, and I think it might have also helped my mother, who was um, a victim as well. Um, and so uh, armed with the education and so forth that I that I had, I just wish that I had done something like that earlier so that um, I, I could have had a better relationship. Thank you for sharing that with us. I appreciate it. Can you tell us about a big success in your life? Our um, favorite? <laughs> my big success in my life is that I successfully raised three wonderful adult children. Um, my oldest daughter is a war crimes prosecutor at the Hague in Amsterdam or in the, um, well, actually in the Hague. Um, my other daughter is a, um, doctor um, who um, served on the pandemic response team uh, in Iowa. And my son is a professional. He is a PGA golf guy, and he's also a PGA certified general manager. So he uh, manages a golf course. And um, each one of them have given my husband and I two grandchildren. So we have six grandchildren. That's the best success. Yeah. Yeah. I have to admit, I'm always jealous of grandparents. I, when I drop off my children with my mom, and she's like, I'm going to feed them lots of cake and then send them back to your house. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, you know what? I look I look for stuff like that. I'm thinking, oh, that'll be good. I'll give them gummies when they come. Or, you know, or uh, I'll, I'll find some sort of gift they can have that falls apart into a million pieces. But open it when you get home. Um, yeah. <laughs> she great. always jokes. She's like, well, I set boundaries with you and your brothers so that you could grow up and be successful adults. These ones are going to like me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm not going to have to worry about a grand, grandma dearest book. Yeah, I'm going to have to worry about the mommy dearest book, but uh, with the grandchildren, I won't. <laughs> All right. For the, for our last uh, kind of wrap up here, what's the biggest piece of advice you would have to a young woman finding their way? My biggest piece of advice is, is that to be kind, stay kind. Um, do not let other people's bad behavior dictate yours. That took me a long time to figure that one out as a lawyer. 
because as a lawyer, we will encounter other lawyers, um, many times male, um, who are just very adversarial, very um, hostile. And I found that when I dealt with those lawyers, I would become like that too. Then I would go home at night and it would take me a while to decompress and I would be angry because I had to deal with that. And then the revelation that hit me was, I'm letting them change my behavior. So once I changed my behavior, yeah, they continued on with theirs, but I um, I was more at peace with myself because I be, I stayed my authentic self. And I, I know that authentic word is, is overused, but um, that, that would be a, a bit of advice I would have. Then it would be find yourself a good female mentor, uh, somebody you can bounce off of things with. And um, I just think that's oh so important. Absolutely. Well, thank you for being with us, Deborah. I really yeah. appreciate it. And thank you for tuning in today. And thank you to Lysandra Marquez, a Girls Code Lincoln volunteer and the technical producer of this podcast. Our theme music is Then It Went Like by Grace Nessa. Girls Code Lincoln is a 501c3 nonprofit organization in Lincoln, Nebraska, where we strive to ignite passion for technology and leadership in young girls with the long-term goal of closing the gender gap in STEM. Learn more at girlscodelincoln.org. Thanks to our sponsors, including Fuse Coworking for our beautiful working space, the Nebraska Governance and Technology Center at the University of Nebraska for Technical Services, and Mentors, Huddle, Assurity, Emeritus, and Don't Panic Labs for the organizational support. Want to hear more from us? Tell your friends about this podcast and share it on social media. Word of mouth is our best advertising.